uh, an epistle uh, is the wife of an apostle. I don't know if you, uh... okay, that's not true. Uh, an epistle is what we call the letters we read in the New Testament. Um, there's different things in the New Testament, right? There's the, the Gospels, and then we have what we call the Epistles, and those are the letters that the Apostles wrote uh, to a specific group of people, and then you have what's called the Catholic letters, uh, from the Greek word Catholic meaning universal, and those are letters the Apostles wrote to all Christians everywhere, yeah? But to be clear, none of them knew they were writing Scripture. None of them. Today's second reading, uh, Peter was just writing a letter, uh, a letter that he felt was important in that we, you know, God knew what was going to be in Scripture, but at no point did Peter say, all right, I'm going to sit down and write some Scripture. He wrote a letter to some people, and of course, th these letters are classic, right? It always has this formula. It starts, you know, grace and peace of our Lord, write an intro longer than our average email, right? And then it's uh, the second thing you always, uh, I thank God for. And then the third thing is always, knock it off. Yeah? Uh, and then the fourth is always, peace out. But it takes them 20 verses. Okay? That's the formula they follow. That's how people wrote letters. Uh, what we believe and know is that in the case of the ones in the Bible, that God did something very unique and special in inspiring them and guiding their every word. Uh, I bring that up because we're going to talk about, well, sorry, I'm going to talk about, you have to listen. Uh, well, you do have bulletins. Uh, and our second reading, that's the one we're going to look at, okay? That's the one we're going to take a look at because this is really intense. And what I would love for us to do is think, is to look at why did Peter write this letter? Because we know. Um, he's writing a group of people who need to know how to answer folks who ask them why they hope. I would love for us to think about it. How amazing it is that there was this group of folks who lived in such a way that their biggest problem was when people would say, why do you have hope? They didn't quite know how to articulate it. And I think it's probably like asking someone, why do you love your spouse? You can give symptoms of that love, but to really say why would be a challenging thing. It's a deep, complex, and rich answer, isn't it? For this to really sink in, I want you to get a sense of what their lives were like. This was second century Roman Empire. And what that meant was Christianity was illegal. And it was a tiny, tiny fraction of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire had a lot of people in it, about 75 million at that point, which was almost a quarter of the world's known population. And they were all under the Roman emperor, who in this case was a guy named Nero. Now, I'm a Roman historian, so I know a lot about Nero. But if you're not a Roman historian, I'll bet you you've heard his name. And what you know is a couple things. He was an emperor and he was nuts. Yeah? And you are right on both. He was 32 kinds of crazy. And he had ultimate, unquestioned power. If you were a Christian, all people in the Roman Empire knew about you for sure, I kid you not, is that you were a cannibal. Yeah? You're like, where did that come from? A real solid misunderstanding of the Eucharist. 
But what we know is Romans wrote a lot about this weird little group. And the thing they wrote is, we don't understand a lot of what they believe, but we're pretty sure they're cannibals. That's what everyone knew. That's the only thing we know. They're cannibals. Which, I don't know if you know, just a quick heads up, that's not true. Uh, write that down. They also knew that they were strange. That in a culture where what you and I would call sexual morality was non-existent, they had no concept of sexual morality in Roman culture. Well, Christians did. Christians said, oh no, there are things that are right and there are things that are wrong. It drove the Romans nuts. It drove the Romans nuts that they would say there's one God and your gods don't exist. It drove them nuts. Christians had a very hard go. In fact, one of the favorite things for Roman emperors to do, and boy, I would love to do a whole homily on this, but I can't. It has very little to do with Jesus. Roman emperors at this point didn't call themselves emperors. They called themselves princeps for citizens. They had ultimate power, but they liked to pretend there was still a republic. People still had an illusion that they lived under a republic. If they didn't, they would have rioted. So how did you keep power? Nero had a simple slogan, circuses and food. His idea was, I will keep you fed and entertained and you won't notice that I'm dominating you. And so he had these things called circuses. The Colosseum wasn't built yet. But they were fields where they would uh, called arenas or circuses. They were called arenas because that's the Latin word for sand, right? Arena, sand. Why that? Because you needed sand for the floor to soak up the blood. The entertainment was killing. The entertainment was torture. And thousands and thousands of people would bring their kids and pack the stands to watch people kill each other, to watch wild beasts kill people. This was the best thing to them. So you keep them entertained with violence and blood, and you keep their bellies full, they won't care. Now here's the key. You couldn't do anything at night. There's no electricity. Fire is generally a bad idea in a city that's built of wood. Yeah? Well, Nero had this idea. True story. These Christians that we were using to keep the circus going, right? They, they provided bodies to be killed. They wouldn't fight back. An early tenet of Christianity was if you're being persecuted for being Christian, you can't fight back because he didn't. So we won't. Well, that's not very entertaining. So Nero had to find another usage, and he figured it out. They would bind Christians in heavy rope like this. They would then soak them in tar about up to their neck. They'd mount them on a pole and light them. And that's how they could play games at night. That Romans wrote about this. Again, we don't know this because the Christians told us. We know this because the Romans told us. Well, what were the Christians talking about if not this? Do you want to know? Be always ready to tell people why you have hope. That's what they were writing about. Not, we're getting torn to pieces. Not, our properties get confiscated daily. Not, we're being butchered like sheep. They didn't write about those things. They were too busy writing about Jesus and how crazy they were about him. 
how willing they were to die for him. And even, as you may remember from the scriptures you've heard, how fired up they were to die for him. We get moderately inconvenienced and the world has to know, yeah? These guys are getting ripped to pieces. And the big problem the church leadership has is, I know you're filled with hope. Let me teach you how to explain it to people. Think about that. Because this really tore me up. This was a remarkable challenge to me. That the Christian leadership of the day, their biggest issue was, we need to help people explain why they have so much hope. They're so filled with hope that people were asking them. Romans account that Roman soldiers sometimes, not a ton, would convert on the spot. Say, I don't know who your God is, but if they make you like that, I'll die with you. That's recorded numerous times. Again, by the Romans, not by the Christians. They were too busy writing about Jesus. Do you and I live our lives in such a way that we're different than everybody else? Would anybody be tempted to walk up to us and say, why are you so hopeful? If not, we need to get after that. We need to get after that because this was a defining element of the early Christian community. Why do you have so much hope? How do we do that? It's kind of simple to explain, a little bit hard to do. We keep our eyes on him. Yeah? Have you ever, I've had the privilege of doing this once. I met a man and we spent a day together. I was in Israel and he was a Muslim and he had questions about Christianity. Do you know what it's like trying to explain to a non-Christian what Good Friday is? Here's what it sounds like. Well, we have this day called Good Friday. Oh, well, do you feast? No, uh, we fast. Okay, well, was there a great victory? No, no, this is when our God got tortured to death. This is when all his friends abandoned him. And, oh, and his mom was there. That's our Good Friday. Do you get how messed up that is? Why is it Good Friday? Because Sunday. Because that didn't beat him. He won. He rose from the dead. I read the book. If you haven't seen the end, I'm sorry I ruined it. <laughs> our hate couldn't kill him, couldn't keep him down. The collective sin and guilt of the human race put him to death, but it wasn't strong enough, he rose. We have three enemies, right? Sin, suffering, death, he beat all three. We hope, we have hope, that's it. The problem is we keep taking our eyes off of it because everybody's trying to rodeo clown our attention away from it. Because ours isn't entertainment and food, although that's a big part of it. We're led very easily by fear and anger. That's how they keep us in line. As long as we have these perpetual cycles of indignity and rage, then we won't stop and hope. We won't look at this because it's not on Twitter. We won't look at this because it's not like and share on Facebook. This isn't on the news. This is imprinted in our heart that he conquered all 
And all he wants, what he died to do, was give us his victory. Come with me. So we hope. What's going to get us down and keep us down? Nothing. We are, in the words of St. Paul, who was tortured twice, jailed three times, had to be lowered over a wall in a basket because everybody was trying to kill him and was eventually beheaded. What did he write? We're super conquerors. It's because his eyes weren't on what was wrong. His eyes were on what's right. Bring on the storm. We got a solid ship. This is what it is to be people who live in hope. This is what's in the background of our head all the time. And we need to be ready to talk about it. Because if we don't act like everyone else, folks will have questions. Trust me, they will. And St. Peter, sorry, I almost said Paul. I could see Peter going, dude, what's it take? First Pope here, you know. <laughs> St. Peter tells us that when we answer, we need two things in our mind. Why do you hope? We need to answer with gentleness and reverence. Why gentleness? Gentleness is strength under control. Yeah? That's what gentleness is. And even as I tell you why we hope, I get a little fired up. And you've got to bring that under control so that we can explain to people why we hope. We can explain it with gentleness, meaning we keep that strength under proper control, and two, reverence, meaning reverence, it's a long chain of words, but it ultimately means awareness. We're aware of who we are talking to. Because you know what happens sometimes when people question us about our hope? We slide them into the category of enemy. No, 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 no. They're our patient, not our enemy. If we treat them like an enemy for daring to question the faith, we're just like everyone else. But if we remember this is a patient that God has assigned me to do some spiritual surgery here, then we will answer with reverence and with gentleness. And this is what's needed. This is what's needed. This is what will make us holy. Holy means set apart, different. If we act like everyone else, except we throw some Jesus in it on Sunday, it's nothing. I mean, it's, please, throw some Jesus in on Sunday. But it needs to move beyond that into a life filled with hope. Not that we ignore our problems or pretend they don't exist. That's not what I'm talking about. But we place them in the context of this. We place them in the context of this. So that's our challenge for today and for this week, is to ask ourselves, do I live like a purse? Do I live in such a way that people are tempted to come up to me and say, in the words of St. Peter, dude, what's up with the hope? Right? That's what he wrote in Greek. I'm sure of it. Don't look it up. All right? Why do you have hope? That's how I've experienced it. Why are you like this? Which was really good and really bad, depending on the conversation. <laughs> Why do you hope? Then you can explain with gentleness and reverence. Oh, see, I believe that God killed my sin 
and he killed my death. And that would be enough, but then he rose. My sin, my guilt, my anger, my pride, none of it was enough. His love was stronger, and that love is directed at me. And I don't know how it's all going to end for me personally or for the world, but I know it's going to rock because I've clinged to him. Live in a way where people ask you why you hope. Be ready to answer it with gentleness and with reverence. And may God bless our efforts in this Eucharist. May it give us the strength to live and remember that hope. Amen? Amen. Okay.